Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. So let's go ahead and go to the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline and welcome them in. And uh, Connor, we appreciate you joining us. Sorry we had to postpone and uh, with everything going on last week, but uh, appreciate you being flexible and coming on with us this afternoon, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, if I can't um, if I can't adjust my schedule for what you guys were dealing with late last week, man, I, I mean, goodness gracious, seeing some of that footage that's come out these last few days, you know, thoughts and prayers, obviously, with, with everybody that has been impacted by that. But, man, like that, seeing some of those some of those images, it was just absolutely wild. Yeah, we well, we appreciate it, man. And, yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing, but definitely could have been a lot worse than what it was, so we're thankful for that. But uh, we know that with, uh, you know, spring football coming up, which I know we'll talk about here in a second, but uh, the NFL draft is, of course, upon us. It'll just be here in a few weeks. And I, I don't know, maybe maybe you can say otherwise, but I feel like in this year's upcoming draft, I can't remember a time where more SEC quarterbacks were being discussed as being – potential first-round picks. Again, maybe there was other times, too. But when you're talking about Bryce Young, you're talking about Will Levis, now you're talking about Anthony Richardson, who's been coming along, too. Uh, there's potential to where you could see at least three SEC quarterbacks drafted in this year's NFL draft. John, I think you hacked into my computer because, I kid you not, like an hour ago I'm writing this story for SDS on why this is going to be a historic draft for SEC quarterbacks because of the very point that you just mentioned. You're right. There's never been a draft like this for SEC quarterbacks. In fact, the only time the SEC has ever had multiple quarterbacks drafted in the first round, it was 2020. It was Joe Burrow going number one overall, and then Tua of course, going to the Miami Dolphins. Other than that, man, like no year that we've ever seen that happen. And here we are seeming like, okay, it's going to be three in the first half of the first round. I mean, I think it'd be a surprise. Even looking at McShay's latest mock draft, which came out today, I mean, he's like the lowest that I've seen on Will Levis, and he has him at 14. And then, oh, by the way, Hedden Hooker was thrown in his first round. So, I mean, there's possible first four quarterbacks from the SEC to go in the first round, which that has never happened before from any conference. The only time in which we have ever seen a conference have three quarterbacks drafted in the first round was the Big 12 back in 2012. And that year, you know, it was, it was RG3, it was Ryan Tannehill, it was Brandon Whedon. And ironically enough, like AM was literally going to the SEC two months after that. So this would be a historic flex for the SEC, which obviously has no shortage of historic draft flexes. Connor Rankin assessed those four quarterbacks, if you will. Um, Anthony Richardson is somebody that he put his talent on display and showed his athleticism. But from what you've seen from those four quarterbacks and how they played in the SEC and where they are now, how, how would you rank the four of them? I would go uh, Bryce Young, one. I would have Hennon Hooker, two. I would have Will Levis, three. I would have Stetson Bennett, fourth. I would have, hmm, is there anybody else in three? And then I would have Anthony Richardson somewhere at the bottom of that heap. Um, it, it blows me away seeing the conversation about him. But what's the point of playing football anymore? Seriously, like, what's the point of playing football and actually trying to complete passes if all you have to do is show up to the combine, make everybody's jaw drop with your vertical, throw against air at a pro day, hit the ceiling, throw from sitting on your butt, which is literally a thing that you will never do in a football game. I can promise you that. And what, 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 like, what's the point of actually playing football if that's the evaluation process? If that's the evaluation process, 
why does Joe Milton need to play this season? Sure, he's been benched twice for how he actually plays football, but get Joe Milton in these situations, and he'll look exactly like Anthony Richardson is. It, it blows me away. And look, I'd be much more comfortable taking Will Levis as like an early second-round type guy and hope that he ends up being a little bit of a Jalen Hurts type. I think the skill set is kind of similar, though the arm strength is obviously very different with those two guys coming out. But, yeah, it just kind of blows me away to see this conversation about these guys who, quite frankly, haven't necessarily proven that they can play football at a very high level yet. And the track record for Power 5 guys doing that and then getting drafted in the first round and becoming a thing in the NFL, it is not very good. So just about Anthony Richardson, I know you kind of you, you laid it out there too. Is it just been people falling in love with that stuff from the combine? Has there been like maybe he's actually been pretty good, but maybe being held back by certain circumstances? I, I just feel like these NFL scouts know what they're doing. They've been doing it a long time, and I don't feel like they would go all gaga over somebody that didn't at least have something to them. But why would you think that this has just have a meteoric rise from where he was at the season end to where he's at now where he's possibly going to be in first-round pick? Oh, because if he's just working out, if he's just working out and if you could put together a four-minute highlight clip, the Cam Newton comparisons are there. Everything else, he is the opposite of Cam Newton. He didn't lift a team that had no talent around him like Cam Newton did back in 2010 when he lifted them to a national championship, a team that didn't have a single NFL player on the offensive side of the ball outside of Cam Newton. And here we are saying, oh, you know, Anthony Richardson, he had drops, he didn't have help. Or, Give me a break. Guy's playing at Florida. This isn't Josh Allen playing at Wyoming over here. Like, this is ridiculous to think that this guy is getting this type of love despite the fact that if you watched him this year when he's losing to Vandy, when he's playing in a game against Florida State, which he goes like two hours of real time without completing a pass. You're just like, what, what are, what is, what's the point? You can look at back at all of his big runs that he had in college, and it's when the defense is playing single coverage, and they turn around, and they forget that they have this Anthony Richardson guy that's capable of running all over them, much like Utah did in the opener, much like LSU did in that play to start off the fourth quarter. It blows me away to see that we continue to ignore actually completing passes at the quarterback position, which last I checked, that's the most important thing. Nobody in this draft does that better than Bryce Young. I understand the size. I also understand that guy missed less time in his career than Will Levis, who's built like a brick house. So what are we really doing here when we evaluate these guys? It seems to be that there's uh, the Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts effect, strong run game with the quarterback being part of that, strong defense, and then just make the throws on play-action plays. That that seems to be kind of how the league is turning and – that is part of the reason that they're falling in love with that type of player. Because you see that Jalen Hurts, the way they play, they made it to the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson has been an MVP before. Yeah, I mean, no, there, there's no doubt about it. And, and Josh Allen was somebody who I criticized coming out. And I, what, I, what I think is also worth noting is that Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, those guys don't succeed everywhere. Now, there are very few quarterbacks who probably you could just put them in any sort of system and, and they succeed. You know, Andrew Luck is obviously the prototype. I think Bryce Young this year, despite his size, I think that guy goes to anywhere and makes that team better and at least makes them a playoff team. But you look at the things around them and you're like, wait a minute. So the, the accuracy is, is a problem. The fact that there was not a get right. Billy Napier could not find a get right for Anthony Richardson. That wasn't even swing passes. That wasn't design run. They couldn't figure out ways to use him. And on top of that, Say what you want about you know guys like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Those guys had reps. Those guys had starts at the FBS level. 
Anthony Richardson still doesn't even know who he is yet as a quarterback because the guy's only had one year as a starter. He's only had one year to really figure out what's going wrong when he goes from these when he's in the midst of these droughts. And you don't get that when you're a backup and you're playing, you know, in a package like what he was playing behind with Emory Jones in the last year of the Dan Mullen era. So I look, I wanted Anthony Richardson to succeed in the NFL. Getting to see the best version of him would be awesome for me as a viewer at home. But I just highly doubt the the comps and the, the faith that these that these front offices have in being able to develop a skill set that, in my opinion, is still far ways away. Speaking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Outline. So, Connor, you know, going back to, of course, you could have a few first-round picks. Do you feel like this is going to be an anomaly? Or think next year will there be maybe possibly something similar? Like what's the quarterback class as far as uh, not only uh, what they can do on the field, but possibly being draftable quarterbacks and maybe being first-round guys? You know, I think that this these last few years have kind of shown us that we can really see these guys kind of come up out of out of thin air. I mean, I think that is all very much on the table. And, you know, it, it's really difficult to forecast what it's going to look like next year when these way-too-early mock drafts come out because I will guarantee you, aforementioned Joe Milton, he is going to be in the first round of these way-too-early mock drafts, despite the fact that that guy has been benched at two different Power 5 programs. But he played well in the Orange Bowl, played well in that game against Vandy this past year, replacing Hennon Hooker. So I, I look at it and I say, okay, if, if, that, if this is the, the bar that we're evaluating quarterbacks, Joe Milton is probably going to have a good chance to be part of that conversation as long as he doesn't get benched. And then you look, uh, you, know, you look at guys like Devin Leary who, you know, physically speaking, he's very different than Will Levis, but the system and his experience, he's going to be, you know, he's 23 years old. He's going to be 24 in September. He's somebody that could be on the, on the radar. I don't know that KJ is going to get that first-round consideration despite the fact that obviously the size is there. I thought he really improved last year. We talked a lot about that. He is my number one quarterback in the SEC coming into this upcoming year, but can he make all of those throws that are asked of you at the next level? His his ability to adapt to Danny Noe's scheme will, will determine if he's part of that conversation. But, yeah, I mean, Spencer Rattler, of course, is, is an interesting one given his history, but it feels like we're going to have those guys in the conversation. But being there next year, I don't think we're going to see it as good as what's going to be happening in a few weeks here. What happens with Jalen Carter? Some teams, the Raiders specifically, have dropped him off their board. His stock seems to be dropping. And then it came out that he and his camp are only going to meet with teams that are drafting in the top ten. Yeah, it's weird, guys. It's really weird. And uh, I've kept really close tabs on on Jalen Carter because he's from Apopka, where I live. And I I know people that know him and have followed his career really closely. And it's never been a question about the physical abilities. And and we saw that really come together. I mean, he was one of the most dominant players on the offensive side of the ball in the latter half of the season we've seen in recent memory in college football. And he is a game wrecker. I don't know that he gets out of the top ten. As weird as this has all been, with his role in, in you know getting in getting arrested for the tragedy that that took place, obviously in Athens, and obviously the way that things played out at pro day with him only wanting to do positional drills and then not being able to finish that, and now this discussion about he's only going to be the team in the top ten. It feels like he's trying to control the narrative more so now, and in his camp, the way that they've approached this is certainly head scratching, but. I think somebody's going to take a chance on the ability because it's a really rare skill set. If you can take a chance on a guy who might be Quinnen Williams 2.0, I think you probably end up doing that, despite the fact that everybody, by the time the draft day rolls around, is going to know the risk. But his ability is just second to none, and I think he ends up going in the top ten. 
Connor, I know that a lot of teams are going through spring practices right now, and they're going to have spring games here in the coming weeks. And maybe it's just because I've been so wrapped up in, in basketball and, and, and baseball and everything else. But I feel like the spring practice, at least in the SEC, has been quiet. There hasn't really been a whole lot. In fact, the only thing I could even really point to as far as some sort of storyline or whatever is when Nick Saban says there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time with one of our players because he's – Yep. presumably taking a shot at Nate Oates, even though he said nothing, nothing to do with it, which we all know better. But do you get the same vibe that it's been pretty quiet for the most part in the SEC? No Jimbo Lane Kiffin, you know, bouts or anything like that. It just seems like it's been low key. A little quiet. Yeah. A little too quiet. And I've noticed the same thing, you know, Jimbo, um, the way that he handled his first press conference talking about Bobby Petrino's role in the offense. That was, that was a little bit of a head scratcher, but not ultimately something that, okay, we're going to be talking about his exact quotes, you know, a few months from now. Um, but I, I think, you know, interesting to see Hugh Freeze talk about wanting to play these exhibition games against other teams, you know, a group of five school, maybe even an FCS school, instead of having the intra-squad scrimmage. And it's interesting for a lot of these SEC teams who, look, we've got 10 new offensive coordinators in the SEC, of course, one in the great state of Arkansas with Dan Enos. And you're looking around going, man, it's difficult to evaluate quarterbacks with the intra-squad scrimmages. And especially if you're a new coaching staff and you're evaluating a mobile quarterback like Robbie Ashford, you really can't get those live looks in the way that you want to. And the way that the transfer portal is set up now, I totally side with Hugh Freeze and wanting to be able to see what you have because if he doesn't have a guy and if he feels like, all right, you know what, I, I don't really like this skill set, I don't see enough from him from an accuracy standpoint, you've got to be super aggressive in that post-spring transfer portal window that's available. So there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces, I feel like, with SEC offenses, and maybe that's when we're going to see some noise made post-spring, and we're going to see a lot of these teams maybe make a change at quarterback, or we're going to hear some more developments in that area. How would something like that work? Is the idea to have it similar to spring practice where you're not actively tackling, or are they talking about tackling like it's a real game since you're lining up against a different team? I think it's tackling like it's a real game. I mean, look, like what's what's the point of that as opposed to just doing, you know, you know, having an intra squad game if you're not gonna be tackling live and, and being able to run your actual plays. I, I think that's what he wants. Now, the pushback is obvious and it's the entire reason that it hasn't happened yet. The first coach that has a starter go down with a season ending injury is just gonna be ripped to shreds because that's life in the SEC. I mean, go back if you want to go back to an interesting storyline, look at Dan Reeves back when he was with the Falcons. Michael Vick goes down in a preseason game, and he gets fired as a result of that. I mean, these things can totally change the trajectory of a coach of a program, given what's at stake. I don't think it's going to happen, but I totally understand why there are certain coaches who would like to be able to, to see kind of how that would play out. Now, uh, Connor, I know uh, we've been talking a lot of football with you, but something I wanted to bring up is you wrote an article just a few days ago uh, about Eric Musselman and why he's your top coach in the SEC. You're a football guy, so why are you writing things about basketball and about Eric Musselman? What what is this about? <laughs> I I have do like this time of year. I do like three, like three four weeks of basketball content. That's just every single day. So anytime anytime we want to talk hoop, I'm I'm your man for that. Um, and as well as Adam Spencer, Joe Cox, who do great work for us over at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Shameless plug. Um, yeah, I think he only widened his gap. I, I think that wasn't really a discussion coming into this year. And I think the way the NCAA tournament played out, wherein, once again, nobody in the SEC went further than Arkansas. How can you now say that Nate Oates is a better coach than, than Eric Musselman when Eric Musselman continues to maximize the potential of his team 
And much like Tom Izzo, you'll be, you're beginning to say, well, they're just going to figure it out in March, and they're going to be able to make some sort of a run. Even if they get a 10 seed in the SEC tournament, they're going to continue to do that. I mean, think about this. There are only four active coaches right now that are riding a streak of three consecutive trips to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament. Derek Musselman, Calvin Sampson, Mark Hugh, Mick Cronin. Like, that's it. I mean, even Bill Self isn't on that list, in part because of what Arkansas did, of course, this year. But I think that you look at this and you, you have to appreciate a team that is playing its best down the stretch. Bruce Pearl, Nate Oates, Rick Barnes, these guys who are great coaches, even John Calipari recently. These coaches that we consider to be in the cream of the crop in the SEC and also in the cream of the crop nationally, they have struggled with that concept of getting their team to play their best basketball down the stretch. Even with a team like Arkansas this year that had a lot of moving pieces, it felt like one step forward, two steps back with some of the injuries, they still got to the second weekend, and I think there's tremendous value in that, and that's why I think Eric Musselman's the best coach in the SEC. I was just happy they made it to the second weekend because I got to go to Vegas more than anything. I mean, that, 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 was, <laughs> that was honestly the coolest part about it, which – uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes like last year you got to go to San Francisco, which wasn't bad. And the year before that was uh, Indianapolis. So uh, as long as he keeps winning, and I think Razorback fans are going to be always excited. Just going to be funny because every regular season is going to come down to it's like struggles will happen. Bad games. Will happen. Ah, just wait. Just wait till March. That's really where it yep. matters the most. And that's and that's fine. That's fine. As long as they keep up the success to go along with it. But, Connor, we always appreciate you joining us, man. Great stuff. As always, enjoy the rest of spring football, and I know we'll be catching up with you later down the road, as well as basketball, too, because you're a basketball guy now. Love it. Appreciate it, guys. Stay safe.